and open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come together and to look at your word. We ask you to bless this time and keep the storms away and any power outages away as we go through this this evening. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen. All right, Psalm 119, starting at verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, have made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Though through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. So we're going to look at this section here. This is the letter M in the Mem in the uh, Hebrew, and it literally means water or chaos in most cases. And then um, it says, Oh, how I love your word. It is my meditation all the day. And this is something, is God's word something that we meditate on? My, my, my I love your law. I love your law? Did I say word? Just law. Yeah. Same thing. Law. Same thing. I love your law, your word, your law. It is my meditation all the day. Is this really true for us? Do we meditate on God's word? And meditate, we've talked about many times, especially in this chapter, this uh, psalm. Meditate is to think over, to dwell on, literally to kind of, it has this idea of mumbling. You kind of just think about it so often. And this is what I say that we need to read our scriptures in the morning so that we can meditate. We find something in there to meditate on as we go through the day and we remember this is what I read. God, what does it mean? Let me, let me think about this in a very deep way. Uh, when we're teachers, that's something we do a lot of times. We read something, we just think about it. Uh, I've taught teachers, you know, you read your scriptures you're going to be talking about early that week, and, that's, and you may not study the rest of it, but you read the scriptures and let God, you know, put it in the back of your mind, and then when you get ready to study, you've got all these different things because you've been thinking just slightly on all the stuff in the background. And it's amazing how we learn so many things. There's many times when I was, especially when I was a programmer, I'd struggle over some, some issue for, for hours at work. And then I'd say, the heck with this, I'm done. I'd be driving home. And all of a sudden, I'm going, the answer is so simple. You know, I had it where I had a notebook right beside me. And I'd pull over, and I'd write the answer down so I wouldn't forget it by the time I got home. I'd sit down at home, write out the program, and it was done in just minutes. And God will do this with us when we meditate on his word, we think upon his word, and all of a sudden, things will just become crystal clear. Things that we were struggling with, God, what should I do? How should I do this? What should I be doing? And we just meditate on his word, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is my answer. And this is what David says, I love your law. I love your law, God. And it is my meditation all the day. And, I, and that doesn't mean that he thought about it 24-7, obviously, but he kept coming back to what was God's word, to meditate on it. You, through your commandments, have made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. 
David says, I've got enemies, but because of your commandments, I am wiser than my enemies. Have you ever had somebody trying to manipulate you and you were able to see right through them because of God, basically because of God's spirit, his word? I've had it happen several times. Huh? Yeah, it's called discernment. It's called, you know, and it's God. He says, David says, you have made me wiser than my enemies. My enemies think they're pretty smart. You know, the world thinks they're pretty smart when they try to set your little traps and tell you how ignorant we are because of what we believe. And just as the guy was saying this morning, you know, the world will tell us that they're absolutely sure that there's no absolute truth, which makes no sense, but they'll, they'll be very clear that there's no absolute truth. And uh, I used to love it in college. Are you absolutely sure there's no absolute truth? And they go, yeah. I go, wow, that's pretty good. You're absolutely sure that there is no absolutes. Uh, and make them have to think a little bit. You know, it's a contradictory logic, and yet the world thinks they're setting us up for some of these great big things. The Bible is full of errors, and if you've ever talked with somebody in, that thinks they're intellectual, they're, you're going to hear, the Bible is full of errors. And I've told you, my first question back to them is, name one. Well, I know that so-and-so, no, no, name one error, not so-and-so told you or you've always heard, but name one error. And they can't do it. You know. I'm not even sure how you could, even if you thought it was an error, you could prove it. Huh? Even if you thought it was an error, how could you prove it? Well, they have things that they, there are about five issues that they'll tell you they think are errors. Okay. And all of them are very easily answered. You know, one is like Jesus, one is where it says Jesus healed one leper out of ten, and the other, the other gospel says that he healed, he healed a leper. And they go, see, this is a contradiction. He didn't, well, healed one leper out of ten, and the other one just he healed the leper. And they'll go, see, he didn't, he didn't go with the other ten. Well, of course, because the story didn't demand from the other perspective to tell you that there were ten lepers. Uh, you know, so it's, it's all these things in there. They look at something and, matter of fact, if they're what they think is a contradiction, if, the, if every single testimony given to them exactly matched, word for word, detail for detail, what would they say? The same thing any police officer would say or lawyer. We've got collusion here. They got together and they said they've, they've made their stories match. So we expect to see stories that don't match because that is what we would expect. It's helped to bring the truth. Uh, they'll point to the kings in, between Kings and Chronicles and say, see, the, you can't total these dates up. Well, the problem is we have two different date-keeping systems because I can't remember whether it's Israel or, or Judah, but one, you start your first year just like the Asian Empire does. You are one year old when you're born. In the Western civilization, you are one year old when you have lived a full year, okay? But in the Asian mentality, the, when you were born, when you start something, you are one year old. And when you start your second year, you start your second year of life. So, and then they'll go, see, there's these differences. And then there's the difference of, do they start when you were solo king or when you were co-regent? And we start adding all these little factors in and everything matches up just perfect. So when you have somebody say there's contradictions, challenge them. 
challenge them. Ask them to tell you one. Because if they find one, we'll, we'll give you the answer to tell you which one, how to answer their questions because there's only about five ones that they're going, if they do any research at all, that they're going to find. And if they did any real research, they'd find the answer is very simple. So we want to be very careful with this. We want to, we want to work with this. And it says, my enemies are ever with me and you've made me, your commandments have made me wiser than my enemies. Wiser than your enemies. He says, I have more understanding than all my teachers for their testimonies are, uh, for your testimonies are my meditation. Huh? You like that? I like it too because what is our goal as a teacher? Our goal, hopefully, is that the people we teach will grow beyond us. You know, we want our, we want our children to grow beyond us. You know, every parent wants their children to do better than they are. Every teacher should want their students to grow beyond whatever it is they're teaching. And not just, I believe this because my teacher told me, but no, you studied it. You have your own teaching. And David is saying, I've meditated on your word and you have taught me, and you have taught me more than my other teachers. God, because of my meditating on your word, you are giving me more knowledge than my teachers have given me. Because he knew it was God. And this is important for us to understand. How do we get what we're learning from? Annie, I don't think you're going to get that. Any good teacher, their goal is to teach you to learn, to go beyond what it is that you learn. The greatest thing I have with my kids is they're getting to start at a very high level that I had to start really low. So I taught them what I know. And when they add on to what I know and what I taught them, they should be getting at a higher level from us. Our, our, the Puritans, when they came here, they go, we want to start this country on God's way so that our children will stand on our shoulders when they start. That whole idea. We're giving them a higher level, and they're starting off you know, on the 10-foot diving board instead of the, the diving board at, at the base of the, dive, uh, the pool. And hopefully their children learn, you know, get to the 20-foot. You know, and I know that's a silly analogy, but that's the idea of you know, get them started at a higher level because their knowledge is going to be deeper. And then God then starts, you know, oh, you know this already. All right, let's take you to the next level. And my goal is always to get to the next level in my teaching and, that, you know, and my learning. And that comes from God. I meditate on his word. I spend many hours studying his word and meditating on his word and thinking about, God, what is it I read? How does it affect the church? How can I... How can I teach people? And my goal is when I teach here is that people will, the greatest answer that I can have and privilege I can have is for people in this church to get above what I teach. Now, that may take a while and that may take time, but that's the greatest privilege of a teacher is to see their students come along and outstrip them. It surpasses the master. And that's really what you want. You know, because you hopefully aren't that prideful that you've got to say, I've got to stay better than them. No, you want them to come and surpass you. And this is what I say, the, the person who has the greatest chance of asking me questions and does ask me questions is my son, my oldest son. He oftentimes will ask me questions, you know, and I'll go, well, this is my gut instinct, but let me go and, and, and search this out. He's one of the very few people that ever asked me a question that really challenges me. Now, I'm hoping in time that people in this church will be able to say, Here's a question I have for you that's going to be a challenging question because 
I've taught long enough that the people are starting to catch up to me and they're going, you know, I've been meditating on this, I've been thinking about this, I want to, I want to know about this. And I love it the days when I get a question that just, that's a really good question. I'm going to have to go back and check that out. I look forward to those days. I look forward to the challenge. And one thing with teachers, and David says I, I, I have more understanding than my teachers, when we give them the understanding, they start meditating from what we give them to start with. And so they, they should outstrip us at some point and say, I'm coming up with questions that you haven't even thought of. Why? Because I come up with questions I haven't even thought of when I read the scriptures at times. All right, verse 100. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. And here he's going more than the older people. Because I keep, I guard your precepts. I am trying to be obedient to you, God. And because of my obedience. And the same thing he just said about being outstripping the teachers. He goes, I keep your, I'm guarding your precepts. I'm living your precepts. And I'm learning more than those who taught me. Because he's, the elders should be teaching him as well. He goes, those who have been walking for you with you for a long time, God, they taught me. I'm, I'm, over, I'm, I'm outstripping them. I'm getting up to the next level. And this is important. What do we see in the unrighteous side of things? We see sins replicated, and we see the sins not replicated at the same level as their parents. We see them getting deeper into their sin. If somebody is into drugs and alcohol, their kids are usually raised up and go deeper into it than their parents did. If they're liars, then the kids get worse at lying. We see a greater level of disobedience. But on the flip side, when we see righteousness pass from generation to generation, we see deeper, higher levels of commitment because they had the right example. The Adams family with Susanna Adams, you know, raised 17 kids and all of her kids, you know, did great things for, for God and or government and live greater than anybody, anything she did. Now, you want to tell me that a mother doesn't have great impact on her kids? 17 kids that all did well. Why? She taught them God's word. That was her whole goal. And she ended up with preachers and, and lawyers and you know presidents and all kinds of different things, but all because she was faithful. And I'm sure her kids outstripped her, but none of them would ever look and say, Mom didn't know anything because she laid the foundation. We lay the foundation so often for people around us, for our kids, our, our nieces, nephews, grandchildren. We lay a foundation, and we need a good foundation for them because we're the one laying that foundation, and hopefully the foundation is higher than where we started. Because... And I've shared with you, I used to love being at home. I'd be studying. I'm going, hey, look what I just, just discovered. Now, oftentimes, I'd be looked at like, okay, yeah, you found another thing in the Bible. But, you know, at the same point, what was I modeling to my children and, and the family? God's word is exciting. It's got some deep stuff in here, and we're going we're gonna to share this together. And maybe they didn't really appreciate it when they were 8, 9, 10, in their teen years. But it still said, Dad thinks God's word's important. So at some point, they're going to go, Dad really thought it was important. I'm going to, it must be important when they get caught up a little bit. And like all my kids have said, they go, we didn't realize how much you taught us until we were in our churches and people don't understand 
these things that we think are basic. Why do they think it's basic? Because I started them out on a higher level. What they're going to consider basic is not basic to most people. And I've shared with you when I taught the senior adults and when I was in my 30s, and I was scared to death to go in there and talk to them, and I gave something that I thought was just a basic truth, and they're all looking at me like, what are you talking about? I got a very quick illustration of these guys have never meditated and searched out God's word. And this verse right here stands out. I know more than the elders around me, God, because I guard your precepts. I meditate on your word. I think about your word. Therefore, I have this information that they don't have. And this is very important for us. Share what you know. Because, and I've shared this many times, when you're discipling somebody, you've been sitting under this church for a while, you know more than a lot of people do. Even if you don't think you know a lot of stuff, you know more than a lot of people do, and you can disciple other people that are at the ground floor. And you, and you talk to people and it's like, wow, here's the answer, and you go, where did that come from? It came from your personal study. It came from the different messages you've heard. It comes from, you know, the, the radio shows, the meditation on God's word, the classes, these classes, the Sunday school classes. And you get all this knowledge, and all of a sudden you realize, wow. But, you know, it's just like all growth. And we shared this. When, you, when you're having your son or daughter in your house, you don't realize that they've grown two feet in the last year. Now everybody who comes around looks like, wow, look how big that kid's getting. You know? And you're like, all right, well, I guess they are bigger. <laughs> you know? But if you're seeing yourself grow day by day, it's hard to see your growth because you're, it's so small and incremental on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's why I challenge everybody, especially at the beginning of the year, look back over a year and say, are you doing the same thing? What are you doing different from a year ago, five years ago? Am I living differently than I used to live? And if you can't say yes, then you've got to start looking at God and saying, God, what's wrong with me? But most people who are following God and reading their Bible and coming to studies will see, I am not the same person I was. I real, I, I'm realizing what I thought used to be important is not important. What's really important is important. And to me now, a lot of things like, that's not important. Yeah. And how many times has God taken a sin out of your life that you thought was a really big part of your life and then you look back on it and going, why? Why did I ever think that was good? Well, I've said this. You need to remember what God has done for you so that when you're in the really tight spot, you go back and say, oh, yeah, God has done things. And that's a really good kid. Keeping a prayer diary is really good. God, this is what I asked you for, and here's the answer. It's really good to keep so you see the answers. You know, the quote that I put on the PowerPoint this morning and for this month is never doubt in the darkness what God has taught you in the light. And that matches what I keep saying that the whole purpose of our testing is do we believe what we've been taught? Which is the flip side of what that statement is. But I just heard that one and I just really brought it, you know, wanted to bring it up. So don't, don't forget what he's taught you when, you know, he taught you things when it was easy and you thought you understood it. When you're in the dark, that's the time to be challenged. Verse 101. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. This is kind of interesting. David has said that your word is keeping me from it, but he goes, I'm also purposing not to do what's wrong so that I might keep your word. I might guard your word. 
It's kind of a two-way street. The more of God's word we get in us, the more he's going to change us and change the way we think so that we won't do as much evil, but we also should not purposely plan on doing evil. What about victory? You can figure out a way to make it okay. Oh, we, oh, yeah, you'll justify it. Have you ever just thought of me and just said, I just couldn't do it, you know it's wrong? Unfortunately, yes, I have. Yes, I have. And there's no pleasure in doing that. When you know you've done wrong, there is no pleasure. Because you're thinking you're going to get some kind of pleasure out of it that you remember. But when you purpose to do the wrong thing, knowing, knowing it's wrong, you didn't just accidentally fall into it, you didn't forget there's nothing. Can I tell you one thing? You do feel so guilty after you. That's exactly it. I don't do that very much. I don't do it very often, but I've done it. But, you know, the thing about this is, and it's so easy to justify wrong things. God, if I just don't tell what I did, I'll be okay. And God says, you know, they asked you, you're supposed to tell the truth. God, if I just don't admit it, nobody's going to know, and God brings it out. But God knows. God knows. Well, God always knows, but he also brings it out. That's what I always think of, no matter what, if I'm by myself. He brings it out. Well, the time that's going to make you humbled. Well, the guilt is worse than the sin. The consequences are always worse. It's, it's much better to come up, be clean up front and not have to worry about it than to let God bring it out. And God will always bring the consequences, no matter what it is. And like you say, it's always at the most inopportune time. These evangelists or pastors that get caught up in adulterous affairs and don't break them off and don't, don't confess them, God will bring it out eventually. When you lie, you will eventually get caught in the lie, and it's going to be the worst possible time that you're going to get caught up in the lie. If you're stealing things from people, you're going to get caught up in it eventually, and it'll be at a time when you were trying to do something that was great. God always makes sure the consequences are enough to humble you. That's exactly it. Be sure your sins will find you out. Verse 102, I have not departed from your judgments, for you have taught me. God, you have taught me, and the more he teaches you, the more we're changed. And this is why we keep bringing up, I keep bringing up for us, it is God who does the changing in our life. He fills us, he crucifies our flesh, and then he changes who we are to be more like him. And an example I keep using is the pickle. You put vegetables in vinegar, and the pickle does nothing but stay in the vinegar to become a pickle. That is how God changes us. He indwells us, and he basically pickles us. He changes who we are from one from the fleshly being that we were into a spiritual-minded being that he is because we are in him. No, sweet or sour. We're just being changed into a pickle. That's the point I'm trying to make. When we change for God, it's not, it's because he taught us. He teaches us. He changes the way we think. Line upon line, precept upon precept, he changes how we think. A little bit here, a little bit here, and a little bit here. And you look back over the five years and you go, wow, I don't think the same way I used to think. I can't do the things I used to do. I can't act the way I used to think. And it's very interesting if you look back over your life. 
What TV shows can you not watch? What movies can you not watch? What, what books can you not read? What activities can you not do? What speech can't you use around people? You know, and you look back and you say, God, you are changing me. And wow, it's such an amazing thing how you're changing me. Yeah, and when you look at it, you look back over it, and wow, look at all these differences in my life. But I mean, oh, even ahead, you're looking, you see such, so much clearer things that you don't even want anything to do with before you, you would. Right. You know, you, you say, well, I used to do this, now I can't, I can't even comprehend doing it. All right, Psalm 103, verse 103. How sweet are your words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey in my mouth. Is that our attitude most of the time with God's word? God, your word is so sweet. I can't wait to be getting it. You know, uh, you know what do most people have, you know, look forward to at the end of a meal is that dessert at the end of the meal. You know, God, I just can't wait to get to the, the pie and ice cream, the, the pecan pie with the vanilla ice cream over the top of it, whatever it might be. I picked what I like, so. How sweet are your words. They're like honey. And this is at a time when honey was the sweetener that was used. Okay, they didn't, they didn't have the processed sugars and everything that we have today. They didn't have all the bad for you sugar, processed sugars they had. They had honey. And honey was very valuable. It wasn't, it, it wasn't something that you just wasted because, it, yeah, you could have your bees and you had your hive, but it was very, it was not cheap to get if you didn't have your own bees. And most people didn't want to bother with the bees. Stealing, stealing honey from the bees before all the, all the beekeeper suits that we have was not, a, was not a fun task. And so it was not a really inexpensive thing. I and mean, you didn't, you, you looked forward to it. You looked forward to the honey and getting that honey. And it, honey is that expectation, anticipation. Do I anticipate my time with God? Do I have expectation that I'm going to learn something in his word? You know, very powerful. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Now, this is very strong. David says, I've been studying your precepts. I know, I'm beginning to know how you think, God. And because of the way you think, I hate evil things. And we've all just, you've all been kind of saying that. As you're growing with God, you're starting to see that there's evil in things. And you start hating things that you never you start, it starts out as a dislike. God, I just can't see myself doing this. And then eventually, I can't, even, I can't even do this anymore. I have a friend of mine who went through his movie collection because God told him to get rid of every movie that used God's name in vain. He went from several hundred movies <laughs> down to about 30 because every time he was watching a movie, he'd hear them say God's name in vain, even the ones he thought were good. And he threw them away. He just destroyed them. Why? Because if they weren't good for him, they weren't good for anybody else. You know, so you get rid of them. And this is something you want to consider. If it's not good for you, it's not good for anybody else. Whether they've been committed, convicted or not, it's still not good for them. And, and I've been getting more sensitive to some of my movies where it used God's name in vain that I'm going to say, well, maybe we need to get rid of these. Maybe I just need to get rid of them. They're not ones I listen to or watch very often anyway. But we see this out there. Not just the cursing of God's name, but using his name empty. And this is something I keep bringing up. 
our teenagers have a language of OMG, oh my God, that is using God's name lightly. Uh, you know, we hear Christians oftentimes go, oh God, I'm doing this, you know, and it's like, that's using his name lightly, unless you're really praying to him, that, you know, and asking for confession, but a lot of times it's not. All right, verse 104, through your precepts, I get understanding, that, oh, I just read that one. All right, 105. Under the word none, which means uh, seed, fish, activity. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I have sworn and I will perform it. I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I beseech you, the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My soul is continually in, in my hand, yet do I not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from your precepts. Your testimonies have I taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes always, even unto the end. So here David goes in to talk about the value and the preciousness of his word. 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It is so important for us to get into God's word because it will light up your way. And you kind of look at this, a lamp unto my feet. If you think about lamps, they do not give you light half a mile away. They let you know what is directly in front of you. Most flashlights tell you what's right ahead of you. The lamp shows you what's right ahead of you. It's not like I turn on a great big floodlight and all of a sudden I see everything. God's word shows us the next step. And have you noticed how many times God just shows you the next step? You know, most of us if, you know, like to go, God, just tell me where I'm going and I'll help, get, I'll help you get me there, God. And God's going, no, I'm going to take you one step at a time. I'm going to show you one step. And I've used the example of Billy Graham, preaching to millions of people now in his older age, or actually he's retired now. But if you look at his life, he started with small churches. He started with tents. He started with very small evangelistic activities. And God taught him how to be able to do what he's done. And you know, one of the things about it is, who knows where God's going to take any one of us? You know, as we follow him and we are faithful to him, his word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And who knows where that path and that word is going to take us. All right, verse 106. I have sworn and I will perform it. I will keep your righteous judgments. This is something that is so sadly lacking in our generation. When somebody says, I'm going to do something, I, I promise to do something or I will do something to actually do it. And it's very sad because this is true even if Christians tend to not follow through with their word. And basically this is saying, I have made a promise, I will fulfill it. Even if it hurts you, God expects you to fulfill your promises. If you don't want to break promises, don't make them. <laughs> and this is very important. Make sure that you keep your word when you, when you say something. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you say you're going to be, be taking care of something, do it. You know, and this concludes, well, God, I'm going to do this next Saturday, and all of a sudden it gives you playoff tickets to your favorite sport. <laughs> uh, 
you know, and a lot of people will say, well, I can't do it anymore. I've got to go, I gotta go do this. You have an engagement. You have a promise. And God really says, fulfill it. And it's really true if, if you make a promise to God. Obey your promises to God. But I think he's even going further than that. It says, anybody, if you make a promise, keep your word. Than to break it. Mm -hmm. Yep, there's consequences for the breaking them. Verse 107 I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according to your word. This is wonderful. I am afflicted, afflicted. I am humbled. And David's saying, I'm being humbled very much. <laughs> How many times do you go through events and you think you're, you're, you think you're something and God shows you that you're not? He's trying to teach us and humble us. And it says here, I am afflicted very much. Quicken, make me alive, God. Make me alive. Which sometimes means that he's humbled you a lot, but you've come to follow him. And then he says, according to your word. According to your word. I want to learn from you, God. I want to grow. I want to be learning more about you. And God has this wonderful way of showing us that we're not following him. You know, we don't believe what he's taught us. He'll teach us something. And what's the first thing that he does? He puts us in a situation and say, are you going to apply what I taught you? You said you believed it. You believe that you believe it. Let's go see if you really believe it. And so many times we prove to him and ourselves, actually prove to ourselves because he already knows what we're going to do. We prove to ourselves that, no, God, I really don't believe you. Yeah, we said earlier, God is, sees everything we do. How many times do we disobey him anyway? Just momentarily forgetting that he sees us. How many times do we say that God says, do not bear false witness, and yet we will lie to try to stay out of trouble momentarily? And it's kind of amazing because, you know, as adults, we teach our kids that you get less consequence if you just tell me the truth. You'll be in trouble for what you did, but now you, if you lie to me, now you'll be in trouble for what you did and for telling lies. And yet, even as adults, we will lie to try to stay out of trouble. Even though we've taught our kids not to lie. Something as simple as we teach our kids not to lie, and then back in the days before we had caller ID, you know, okay, answer the phone and tell them I'm not here. Doesn't compute kids going, well, mom and dad tell me not to lie, but they lie. Okay. What an example we're showing. And not only just lying before God, but the example that we give. And God is saying that make me alive. He's, gonna, he's going to afflict us, but yet it makes us alive. Have you ever come through a very hard time where God has kind of knocked you down a few pegs and then you come back and say, wow, this is so wonderful because now I have learned my lesson finally. Hopefully you've learned your lesson. God will try it again. But, but when you get to that top, when you get past that lesson and God takes you to the next lesson to learn, and this is the one thing I tell people, you know, I mean, the good news for us, I guess, is that we'll have lessons the rest of our life. I don't know sometimes whether that's good or not, but God, God's got lessons for the rest of our life. Unless we get to be like Enoch and Elijah and we get our lessons learned and he'll take us home. So, verse 108, except I beseech you the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. God, I want to speak things that honor you freely. Don't make me speak them. Have you ever tried to make a child 
uh, say I'm sorry, you know, when they when they have no meaning on it, you know, and there'll be something like sorry, yeah. yeah. Now you didn't mean that, you know, and here David's saying, God, I want to honor you. Teach me your judgments, and help me grow. Accept my free will offerings. How often do we worship God in our in our words, our songs, our prayers? You know, many people, when they pray, the only thing they ever pray is God give me or God give them. And God is looking for worship. And this is one of the reasons I'm, I'm trying to teach us more and more choruses, very simple choruses that you can memorize and just be able to sing to God and pray to God and just thank him. Have you ever just spent time thanking him for all the things he's done, which goes back to the idea of a prayer journal? God, I've, these are the things I've had. Wow, God, look at these. Here's, here's my answers of prayer for the last week, month, six months, whatever it might be. And just tell him thank you. Just tell him thank you for all that he's given. How many times do we get to the place where God gives us what we want and we might remember to say thank you or we might not. And three months later, we don't even remember that God has answered a prayer. Or that we even asked in some cases. You know, very important. God... I beseech you, accept, I beseech you, the free will offerings of my mouth. Beseeching is a very strong word. God, I'm asking you, I'm begging you. Accept my words. Accept the works that, I, that I'm giving and teach me your judgments. God, teach me your word. Help me truly learn your word. And God is going to do that for us no matter what. You, know, you don't really have to beg him for it. He's going to. He's going to put us in situations that say, do you believe what you have been taught? Every time. Uh, the tagline for the Truth Project that we went, do you really believe that what you believe is really real? God puts us in those tests all the time. Do I believe? Do I really believe what he's teaching me? And he will test us. And he will continue testing us. And he'll continue expanding upon what we've learned and giving us new tests on what we've learned. Uh, and like I say, because I love mathematics, I, I like to use mathematics as an example. When you're a kindergartner, you're, you're learning your numbers, just how to draw the numbers and how to write the numbers. When you're in first grade, you're learning addition and subtraction. Okay? Now, and when you're in about third grade, you're learning multiplication and then division, and you learn fractions, and you keep building on your math test. If, God give, if you're at a high school level and God gave you an addition and and subtraction test, you know, or if you're sitting in school and your, your math teacher gives you an addition and subtraction test and you're, and you're studying algebra, you're going to be looking at the teacher like, what's the catch? You know, are you insane? Uh, I learned this stuff years ago. Seven years ago I learned this stuff. God increases our test to the level that we're at. And if you're at a high school level, he's not giving you a kindergarten level test. He's not saying, will you trust me in this very simple thing? He's saying, will you trust me when everything looks like, I'm, like it's going, out, going crazy? Will you honor me and be truthful when it really looks like you would be better off not being truthful? Will you follow me and not watch this show even though your friends are all out there watching it? Will you say, no, I'm not going to watch this show that I wouldn't watch, God? You wouldn't watch it at home, but if you're with your friends, you're going to want to look like a goody two-shoes. And God says, 
Are you going to keep it? Are you going to honor me even under peer pressure? Or it might be the other way. Will you honor me when nobody knows what you're, <laughs> what you're doing? And sometimes that's a harder thing for people. Between the two extremes, the, the peer pressure or just I'm totally alone. God, I can, nobody's going to know but you, God, so I can get away with this. Nobody will know that I watched this pornographic movie that, that, that was in front of me. Wouldn't watch it with my friends. No, I can't let them think that. But God, maybe, you know, that's when it gets really hard sometimes and say no. Now, some people say no, I wouldn't even do that, and that's good. You know, but there's always something out there that you might do alone that you wouldn't do in front of others, and it could be something totally different. Now, what am I reading? What am I watching? What am I saying? What am I participating in? You know, and it might be peer pressure, it might be alone for each individual. And he's saying, God, accept me, teach me. 109, my soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget your law. My innermost feelings and desires are in my hand. I can do what I want, God, is what he's saying. I can do what I want. My soul is in my hand. My, my innermost being is in my hand. And he goes, yet I don't forget your law. I'm not going to ignore your law. I'm going to keep your law on the forefront of my mind. And you know, that's the only way to keep your soul is to keep God's law in the forefront of your mind and listen to him and apply what he is teaching. Which is why I say as we go along, he changes who we are and we get to the place where, God, I just don't want to do this anymore. You know, how many times has God come into your life and say, well, are you ready to give this activity up? And it may or may not be sinful. Yeah, I've shared with you, God did this to me about football. And he goes, are you willing to give up football? And I used to love NFL football. I watched you know, all three games on Sunday afternoon and the Sunday night game when I was, you know, before and after church and Monday night and Thursday night. I used to love to watch football. And for a long time, I told God, no, I'm not going to give it up. Then it came to me like, okay, there's nothing wrong with it, but God, I'm spending 21, 30 hours a week watching football. What else could I do that would be better? Now, I will still watch a football game once in a while, and I still, and I usually can't watch the whole game because I just see it as a waste of time. Now, is there anything sinful about watching football? Not really. Could there be anything else in your life that God is saying, I want you to give this up, and you're going, God, it's not wrong. Well, but God is saying, it's taking your time away from me. Stewards of whatever God has given us. Correct, including time. Especially time. I want to be very careful when I say that because anytime you look at a principle, you can't apply the principle that God gives you and apply it to others because God's not working on them in that, that aspect of their life. You mean like applying it to Lynn? Right. I can't apply it to Lynn. I can't apply it to you. I can only apply it to myself. Precept and law is pretty much the same. There, there's a technical difference between them. But in this, in this whole chapter, law, precept, commandments, judgments are all very much the same thing. It's all God's word. Okay, it's just using many different words for his word. Because this whole psalm is about God's word. You know, there's a couple verses where it's not completely there. You're, but yeah, you can pretty much change those. In, they're interchangeable in this psalm. 
You know, yes, there's a technical difference between law and precept. You're always saying in the passage on the radio, line upon line, precept upon precept. I get tangled in here. Precept literally and specifically is a way of thinking and acting. Law is God's rules. His commandments are his rules. His word is what he speaks. So you, you understand there's a technical difference between these words, but they all really are his word. Okay? And there's certain levels within his word that he's talking about. But it's his word that changes our life. It's his word that will correct us. It's his word. Now, technically, it's his precepts that change us. It's because he changes the way we think. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Okay? And he's saying, this is how you should think. And how do we find out how we should think? We get into his word. And you'll find it as you study his word, all of a sudden what was his word will become a precept. Because all of a sudden I changed the way I think to match what I was reading. So it starts out just being his word. God says this, God says that, and then all of a sudden it becomes his precept, the way to think, his commandment. You know, I'm reading along and all of a sudden I'm going, well, I can't do this anymore. Not because it's a precept yet, but he's given me a commandment. Don't do this. And sometimes it's his precepts that will give us a commandment. Well, the precepts will become the, the way of law. The law, you may, you may obey the law without that being the way you think. Okay? Good example is my attitude towards speed limits. <laughs> okay? Speed limit says 55, I'm going to go 60. Because to me, I, 55 is too slow. Now, if I didn't really care at all, I would just go until the police pulled me over because I love speed. Now, I really do. I like to go fast. So, but here's my law. The law says go 55. At some point, maybe God will say, you're going to keep the law and it's going to become a precept. And at that point, I won't go above it because God says, changing your way of thinking. Okay, so his word to command to a precept, and your precept is when you really truly believe you're not obeying just because you want to stay out of trouble. You're not obeying just because you... You know God doesn't approve it. You've changed your way of thinking to be in agreement with God. So, precept is to obey the law? No, commandment will be obeying the law. Precept is when I change my mind about the activity, and I now accept what God says about it. And the speed limit's a bad example, you know, but uh, when God says to be truthful, Okay, God, I'm going to be truthful. I'd rather just lie because I think it's still good. But, and at some point, all of a sudden, he works it in and says, God, I just want to be, I just want to be completely 100% truthful. Because they use that word a lot, and I always kind of confuse it. Well, precept is a, is a next level, is a pretty much the highest level. God, I'm agreeing to think like you think on this topic. All right. A commandment is, is good. I mean, I, I obey God's commandments, but why am I obeying his commandments? Usually because I don't want the punishment. All right. This is when we train up our children. We teach them. As long as you to totally believe it, yes. 
when we're disciplining our children, I want to teach them to be obedient. How do I teach them to be obedient? Because if you disobey, I'm going to punish you. Our ultimate goal is I want you to be obedient because you want to be obedient. You understand that it is what you should be doing. And that's when it moves into precept. Okay? And that's what God's saying. He goes, I want you to, if, if the only reason you'll be obedient is to not break my commandment and you're afraid of the discipline, good. But the ultimate level is, God, I am not going to tell a lie. I'm not going to use your name in vain. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to commit a fornication. Not because I'm afraid of what you've done, what you're going to do if I violate it. Not because I'm looking for the reward of being obedient. Because, God, you say it's wrong and I agree with you that it's wrong. But our goal is to get to precept. Where, God, you're changing the way I think. And I'm not doing it just because I'm afraid of doing wrong. I'm not doing it because I want to try to get a reward. This is where Christian living becomes Christian living. Okay? God, you're changing who I am and how I think. I'm not trying to be obedient just for the reward it's going to give me and how good I'll... You're walking the walk, but not just not out of commandment. It's, God, you have changed who I am. I no longer even want to do what it is you've told me that's wrong. And that's when it's moved from commandment to precept. God, you've changed the way I think. I'm not being obedient just because I'm trying to make everybody feel that, think I'm truthful. God, I'm not trying to do what you want just because I want to have a good testimony. It is a change in who I am, how I act, and what I say, because God has given me a precept. And his word is full of precepts. And usually they start out as commandments. You know, and we start being obedient to a commandment because we want to stay out of trouble. We start then going to the next step. I follow the commandments because I get good rewards. And ultimately, God, I just agree with you. It's wrong, and I do not want to do it. Okay, and that's where precept comes in. It's a very strong word. So, yes, we go back to that. These words are technically the same, are, are, are kind of the same, but they're very technical, precise differences on them. Let's try to finish this up. We're a little, I'm going to finish this section. Verse 110. The wicked have laid a snare before me, yet I erred not in your precepts. Precepts again. Why? The wicked have put a trap in front of them. But if it's a precept, it doesn't even challenge you. Daniel, when, his, when the leaders into Darius and said, uh, we've all agreed that a really good law for you to do, Darius, would be to say that you know, for 30 days nobody can pray to ask a request of any god or, or any person except you. Darius is flattered. They say that everybody's agreed. He doesn't, he doesn't take time to check with Daniel to see if it's a good idea. And he goes, yeah, that's a good idea. And I love it because it says, when Daniel heard the decree, he went home, opened his windows like he always did, and prayed. Okay? Why? Because the precept said, God, I, want, I just want to talk with you. I don't care if it's against the law or not. I am going to pray to you. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to pretend. They were trying to get Daniel in trouble. Because if we've said this before, and I've said it many times. If Daniel had stopped praying, they would have had him anyway. Because they would have gone, you don't really believe in your God. Because when it would have cost you your life, you quit. And if he did pray, they were going to go run into Darius, which they did. <laughs> and accuse him of praying to another god, and Darius then found out that he had been tricked and all the stuff that went with that. All right? A precept is something we're going to obey 
no matter what. When our enemies come against us, we will obey the precepts. If we truly believe that evangelism is something that God is telling us to do, and we make it a precept, we don't do anything but try to share the gospel. And you know, we start again, just like everything else. We started as a commandment. God said, do it, I'm going to go do it. Because the ultimate is that they're going to go to hell if I don't. But then we get that precept, God, I just, I've got to share this word with you. you know, and this is where it comes down to the difference between the two. Verse 111, your testimonies have taken, have I taken as a heritage forever. They are a rejoicing in my heart. God's testimonies, his experiences, his telling us what is true. You know, do we take it as a heritage? How important do we think it is? What's a heritage? Something you get from generation to generation. He goes, God, I'm going to take your testimonies. They're my heritage. In the Old Testament, what is the heritage that we keep hearing about? Father Abraham, Father Isaac, and Father Jacob, who got the word that the promised land was theirs. Going back to Moses and the traveling through the wilderness and how much God gave them and the, the way he took them out of Exodus with the ten plagues and, and the Passover. He's always reminding them, this is what God has done. This is what God has done. This is what I have done. You know, and the people were always reminding them, mostly because the children of Israel were very forgetful. But so are we. You know, we keep forgetting what God has done in our life if we're not very careful, which it goes back to, again, what we were talking about, keeping a diary of what God has done. Having, having markers in your life that says, this is when God delivered me from this. This is when God did this for me. This is when he put me in this place. This is where he really taught me this wonderful lesson, and I'm not going to ever forget it. Because the children of Israel kept having to be reminded. God has given you water. God's given you food every day. He's given you the quail. He's, he's given you the cloud to give you coolness. He's given you the, the, the light to give you light. You know, quit forgetting God. <laughs> And uh, his testimonies, or he takes his, he goes, they are rejoicing to my heart. Heart, innermost being. Does God rejoice your innermost being? This is a very powerful concept. Am I so delighted in what God does that I can think of nothing else to do? I want to get into God's word. I want to read his word. I want to pray. I want to come and be with God's people in church. You know, as we've been saying earlier, I get to do these things. I get to serve God. I get to be with his people. I get to read his word. Very different from, oh, I'm drudging through it, God. You said to read your word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read your word. God, you said to serve you. I'm going to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out there and serve you. But if we can get to this precept idea, I get to do these things. Not I have to do these things or I should do these things. I get to, God, I get to serve you and do things for, for you. Verse 112, I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes always, even unto the end. Statutes is another word for commandments and laws. He goes, I have inclined, I desire, I stretch forth. I'm laying down my desire of my heart, again, my innermost being, to perform your statutes always this is where it becomes precepts god i just desire to do what you want not because i must not because i'm, I'm afraid of what's going to go wrong but just because god you've changed who i am and i want to 
You've made me more like you, God. I'm going to speak kindly to people. I'm going to love people. I'm going to be forgiven, uh, forgiving. I'm going to do these things, God, because you have made a precept in my mind to change. Once it becomes a precept, get ready, the test becomes bigger. Because there's always that chance of saying, is this precept only a certain level or is it all the way? And he will test it. He's going to say, do you truly believe? All of our testing is directly related to how far do I believe? How deeply do I believe? How far do I trust God? And this is very important. How far do I trust God? The longer you walk with God, the more you should be trusting him. And the deeper that trust should be. And you should be, as, as, when you've walked with God longer than, long enough, you should be one that people can look to and say, now that's somebody who's living God's, the Christian life. All right, we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank for the opportunity we have to come before you. Lord, we ask you to help us as we're learning to let your word become precept in our life and help change us to be more like you in all areas of our life. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.